Welcome to Sex Chat for Christian Wives, where four marriage and sex bloggers discuss the naked truth. What does God really want for the sexual intimacy in our marriage? I'm Jay Parker of Hot, Holy, and Humorous. I'm Chris Taylor from The Forgiven Wife. I'm Gay Christmas of Calm, Healthy, Sexy. I'm Bonnie Burns of Oyster Bed 7. We are doing something bold today. We're letting a guy into the girls only club. While our podcast focuses on wives talking to wives, we've all had great impressions of today's guest and wanted him to come on and talk a little with us. Kevin A. Thompson is the lead pastor at Community Bible Church in Western Arkansas, speaks at marriage and parenting conferences, and has authored two books, the most recent one titled Happily, Eight Commitments of Couples Who Laugh, Love, and Last. Welcome to our virtual kitchen table, Kevin. Well, Jay, thanks so much for having me, and Chris and Gay and Bonnie. It's an honor to be with you. I'm fans of yours from afar and uh, on social media, so it's great to, to be with you in person. We're happy so to have you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So glad. Uh, yeah, you're kind of bold to be around all this estrogen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like it's a tremendous honor. Seriously, I feel like I'm entering into safe space. So I hope I honor it properly. <laughs> well, hey, um, although your latest book is about marriage generally, since we talk about sex, we're gonna apply a couple of your points to the marriage bed. We hope that's okay. Our first question is: In happily, you start by talking about how we tend to think happy or unhappy marriages are a product of luck or unspoken rules, like you have to marry the right person. We've also heard this idea about the marriage bed and sexual compatibility. So I want to know what y'all think of this idea. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That's the perception. I mean, I've never seen a movie where a couple has to work on sex to become intimate, to be to make it work, to make it magical. Instead, it's always a spark. It's always this this magic thing that just happens that just takes place. And, and so that's the perception people have of marriage, and then that's that's naturally the perception that people have of sex. I can't speak for women, obviously. I know for men, men just assume that we're supposed to be good at this and that it should happen naturally. And if it doesn't, we we generally write the story something is wrong with you. We don't really write the story something's wrong with us because that's way too personal for us to ever even begin to do. And so one thing that I do and happily is I begin with this concept of, of blessed are the poor in spirit is what Jesus said. So humbly embrace now this concept of need, of learning, of that kind of thing. And I think whenever it comes to marriage specifically, it is now the incubator in which you can learn how to give pleasure, to receive pleasure. And it has you have to have that mindset of learning in order to make that happen. And so I absolutely think y'all are dead on on that issue. You know, I'd have to say a lot of women also assume that the problem with sex is us because yeah. what we're what we see in you know popular culture is you know that spark on the movies and then desire in her looks exactly like desire in him and boom 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 everything happens magically at the same time and there's no effort and when it doesn't happen that way we assume oh I must be broken or there's something wrong with me or I must not have desire or I must have low whatever so yeah he's thinking the problem's her and so she. I think there's an assumption that the male perspective, the male approach, the male libido, whatever, that all those are the norm and that the female approach or perspective is somehow wrong or it's not quite right, you know, and I think women really internalize that and say, feel like, yeah, wow, there's something wrong with me. And it is kind of a symptom, I think, of, of a greater marital issue in that we tend to, especially early in marriage, hopefully we mature out of this eventually, but, you know, I'm almost 20 years in, so maybe eventually we'll get there. But we tend to 
look at problems as his problem or her problem. We don't look at them as this is our issue. We mm -hmm. have to learn how to do this together. We just assume it's 100% one of one of the partners and 0% the other. And generally speaking, for men, we tend to blame the women and women tend to blame themselves. And so I think from the very get-go, if we can get in this mindset of whatever issue we're facing, this is ours to face. And we both have ways that we can improve it. We both have ways uh, that we have to support our spouse as they improve it. If a couple can learn that early in marriage and sex be kind of the first spot they learn that, it will have a ripple effect into every aspect of, of their relationship. It also sounds to me like kind of what you're talking about with the way that men view this and the way women view this. You talk some about arrogance and insecurity and how that humility is a better view of ourselves. And we sometimes tend toward arrogance or insecurity out of fear. And I think those things are what kind of what you're talking about. Like the men say, well, it's not me, a little out of arrogance maybe. And the women say, well, it is me <laughs> out of some insecurity. Absolutely. And you look at both of, both of those issues are pride issues. Mm -hmm. And they're just from a different flip of the coin, right? And so a man might pridefully think too highly of himself. That can't be me. They're not thinking of themselves properly. A woman might be thinking of herself too lowly, not understanding her value and who she actually is. Mm -hmm. And so she's thinking the problem has to be me. Look at culture, look at society, look at Hollywood and what they what they feed to us. And the concept now is we need to look at ourselves properly of where we actually are. We're valued and we're not perfect. And then we can approach this, I think, from the right perspective. And I love that you that your solution is humility. Of course, it's biblical. But my favorite definition, you know, my favorite little cute definition of humility is you understand that someone else can teach you something. And that goes along with your season. And it, I think as a young married to understand that there are seasons in life and this marriage bed struggle, if you have it in the beginning, is just a season, but you learn through it. And then there's the next season and, but you still have to keep learning different things. But that's, a, I love the humility piece. Well, that's such a joy, I think, of, of what marriage is supposed to be at the beginning is two ignorant people trying to figure it out together. And that really is, it complicates things, but that really is the potential and the fun that's in a relationship. I try to try to convince young couples of this all the time, that the ignorance is the beauty uh, because you get to work <laughs> this out together uh, and embrace that and appreciate that. But it really does challenge us because it, it, sex, as you know, is a very intimate and personal concept and it begins to attack the very identity of who we are. And the, but and I'm, I'm a know-it-all and that whole idea of ignorance would have thrown me off. <laughs> thrown me off big time. Then you throw in how hard it is to communicate about sex because we have, either we haven't learned about it, it wasn't talked about in home, it wasn't talked about at church, it's embarrassing, you know, so you have these differences to work out and then you've never seen modeled how to talk about it. And so the problems become amplified because you can't talk them through. Absolutely. And sometimes we don't even know what words we're mm -hmm. allowed to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have said there were times about sex and other things where I didn't even know that it was something I should talk about. You know, sometimes you don't even know that you need to talk about it. Well, and that's the value of y'all's work and the value of your ministry of where you're at. I mean, it's such a privilege as a pastor. You know, I have to draw lines with what I talk about with, with women and, and individually. And, and it's such an honor for me to have people I can turn to and, and, and tell my church members, Here, here's some things you can read. Here's some people you can trust. Uh, and, and you're giving them a language, a vocabulary, permission, and understanding of the importance of communicating about this. Until we can talk about this, we have no chance uh, at improving or fixing it. And so it begins yep. with this conversation. So I think this is very valuable. I really 
want to use that to kind of go into the next one because mm-hmm. talking about communication really hits on the, the next point I wanted to cover. You have the eight commitments outlined in Happily, but there was one that really stuck out to me about how we can misuse apathy and aggression in marriage. I know we see this in our communication tactics. So how do spouses misuse apathy and aggression when dealing with sex in their marriage? Yeah, what, what I'm calling them toward is meekness. And meekness is this idea of power under control. It's, it's an energy that's directed. I, I speak to men often and I tell them that God has given you a strength and that strength should always be for the benefit of your wife and your children, never to their detriment. But whenever we uh, use that strength toward their detriment, we tend to either do it in apathy or aggression. So sex can be so personal and and we can get our feelings hurt so easy. It's very easy to lash out when things don't go our way. Uh, A man might snarkily say, are we ever going to have sex again whenever he gets turned down on one night? And it's this kind of aggressive kind of approach. Uh, But then if we're not very careful, uh, we can also just begin to give up, to say it's not worth it. It's not worth our energy and effort. I'm not going to initiate. I'm not going to bring it up. I, I think we all have one way that we tend to lean, but I think we all use both to some extent. And, and mm-hmm. men specifically will be apathetic for a long time, and then that emotion will spill over into aggression. And all they're doing in that moment is driving uh, their wife away in, in mm-hmm. so many regards. And uh, so I, I think both of these, we got to recognize it within ourselves. The tone of voice we use, the aggressiveness of our words, the sarcasm, the passive aggressiveness as far as the aggressive side point, and then the apathy, the not being willing to bring it up, to talk about it, to initiate sex, yes, but to talk about problems, to, to talk through, hey, what can I learn? How can I do better? It, it's a real issue in the bedroom, the, these two issues. If we can ever learn the meek way, that's a strength that's under control, that's directed at solving the problem, not directed at uh, hammering our spouse or, or causing them to have guilt, uh, I think we'll see a great improvement in every area of life. Mm-hmm. Those words, am I ever going to have sex again? They were said by my husband to me many times during a particular season in our marriage. And when things started to turn around, he still didn't believe that it was true, that it was actually changing. So I'm wondering for other wives in that situation where sex has been an issue, but now they're trying to make some changes, but they're still getting that response of apathy or aggression. What advice would you give for how to talk to their husbands about that in that moment of there he goes again. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to, to as best you can to have a patience and an understanding. Uh, if if you if it's coming from a place you know that it wasn't the relationship wasn't where it was supposed to be. Uh, okay, it's going to take some time to build this trust to 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 make that happen. And so let's just outlast the pessimism in some way, and uh, and hopefully he can eventually come come around to it. If not, then then maybe they need to get some help. Maybe they need to go to a counselor and and sit down and talk about this issue and talk about what caused that to begin with. And and I think generally speaking, just recognize that there are some problems we're always going to have, some areas that we tend to go back to no matter what, and let's find a way to negotiate a pathway forward today. And if when the when the problem reemerges a month from now, we'll, we'll renegotiate again. But my guess is if those changes are happening over time, he will change even as you're changing as well. Yeah, I felt like the apathy and aggression in my marriage when things were, were rough, we fed off of each other's. Like, I mean, because I was more of the aggressor. I'm sure Chris is like, of course you were. And <laughs> but, but so am I. That's why I recognize <laughs> well, you. We have similar personalities. <laughs> this is why we can say this to each other. But I was the more of the ag- the aggressor and my husband was the one who would shut down when things, you know. And then like the more he seemed apathetic to me, the more aggressive I would become. And the more aggressive I'd become, the more apathetic he would seem. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to do this. And I've seen this with couples who present and tell me what's going on in, in their marriage beds. And I'm like, this is getting, y'all are just playing off each other. And you have to make that choice yourself 
myself to remain meek, as you say, that strength under control. It really comes back, though. I mean, these these eight commitments, they do build on each other. And it's no accident of, of kind of where they fall. And so if you begin with this concept of humility, then suddenly this becomes more doable as you get down mm. the list and you begin to understand what's going on. But if you don't have a humble kind of concept, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't expect to have problems and the need to learn, then you're going to struggle with this. But if humility is first, then you recognize, ah, here's where I tend to go. I got to be careful here. And I think, Jay, you're absolutely right that this builds off of one another. One becomes more apathetic as the other becomes more aggressive and then it becomes an ugly cycle that somebody has to break. Sort of like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner and, you know, somebody (laughs) ends up falling off the cliff. And that's where we went with this conversation. (laughs) You you never know what you're going to get with us. And another thing to think about is that without meekness, there might not be mutuality. And I think that's a key to a great marriage is mutuality, but you have to have the, the meekness. No, so. I think so. And, and uh, you know, my favorite chapter of the book is, is embracing the hurt. It, it sounds so weird and so strange, but I think just coming to this understanding with a proper perspective of I'm not going to be the husband that Jenny needs in every way. She's not going to be the wife that I want or need in every way. And marriage itself is going to disappoint us. But as we embrace the grief and the sorrow and the letdowns, that allows us, I think, in many ways to appreciate that which is good. And, and so as we have that mindset, begin with humility, begin to embrace the hurt, that then allows us to go, all right, we're going to have problems. Things aren't going to be perfect, but because there are good things, I really want to work on this issue. And I know we can get better at this. We can't get perfect, but we can get better. And that now pulls me out of apathy. And yet it it keeps me from going into an aggressive way because that's going to do more harm than good. Well, when you can become her warrior for her place of hurt or brokenness or, you know, whatever her issue is, if you can become her warrior, just like if I can become Dave's warrior, my husband in the past struggled with pornography and it was a long journey until I could finally become his warrior and be on his team to try to help him stay on the holy path. And once you're on their team, it's a whole new world. That's what we just talked about. It's it's not their problem. It's our problem. Mm-hmm. We can we can work on this together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin, I wanted to ask about something in that chapter about hurt, because that's that's a chapter I read today. And you make this really, really interesting suggestion, and that is to write a lamentation to talk about mourning the things that you're having to let go on of when you think about the hurt in your marriage. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because that was just something that really spoke to me. I do think the the concept of lament is a lost concept within our society. And whenever we read the Psalms, and obviously there's a whole book of lamentations, whenever we read the Psalms, that's a form of prayer, is is that of lament. And and where I think of it probably the most for me personally is is I really do think about the ways that I'm amazed Jenny loves me and, and the ways that I fail her in so many ways and how unfair that is for her. That she, in places, she deserves better than what she's getting, but she married a frail human being, a man, and this is what she's going to get. In part, it doesn't excuse my weaknesses. I need to work on some things, but there's some things about my personality I'm just not going to change. She's an adventurer. She loves the outdoors. Her first thought is, where are we going? My first thought is, no, we aren't going anywhere, (laughs) right? And and so I often think to myself, she deserves somebody who just at any moment would take her out of town and just have a great time. And she literally has to lure me out of town in in many ways. And so I think to, to just sit down and to be honest, to be transparent, to confess what is broken, what what is broken in you, what you think maybe is is you were hoping for in the concept of marriage that you're not getting, what is broken, maybe what that you think in your spouse, ways that maybe she's not exactly the way you wanted her to be. Her personality is great, but maybe it doesn't mesh in certain points. To put all that out before God, lay it out before him. And then at the end to come back in and to say, but I trust you, God, and I love my wife. And here's why I love her. It's because of these things. And that those things are greater than the weaknesses. And here's why 
I see that you love me and value me, and I thank you for that. And here's the good parts about the concept of marriage that I appreciate. I think lament leads you into praise. But whenever we fail and whenever we live in, in denial about the negative aspects, we so often then live in denial about the good aspects. Mm-hmm. And so I think lament prepares you for that. And so I wouldn't share that letter with your spouse. I wouldn't share it with anybody. I'd write it and maybe burn it. But but to express it, to be honest before God, hiding something before God is never going to work. And yet honesty and transparency before him always allows him to heal our hearts. Amen. Thank you. That's why our stories are so valuable, saying it out loud. We're going to take a quick break right here and talk about something that is definitely not broken. In fact, it may well fix your back and neck issues. This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Moons Everpillow. In case you missed it, the Washington Post chose Everpillow as their number one pillow of 2018. These amazing pillows are made in Colorado. They're fully customizable for every sleep style and body type. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the desired loft and feel that you want. There's no chemicals, memory foam, or cheap polyfills. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Not only does Infinite Moon create a fabulous pillow, they also give job opportunities to former felons, homeless, and addicts. A great company with an amazing product. Say no more to achy neck pain and bad sleep. Visit www www.infinitemoon.com and use the discount code SEXCHAT10 in the cart for 10% off. Always free delivery and a 100-day no-risk trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us, perfected by you. Okay, Kevin, you've been bold on your blog about how women should be treated with respect, speaking for Me Too and other issues. We've also talked about that here. (laughs) How can wives get husbands to understand their experiences with harassment and abuse without seeming like we're man bashing? Yeah, I I, I can only imagine how difficult that is. And and I empathize as much as I possibly can, because obviously I can't I can't fully understand. Jenny has has been transparent with me about some of her experiences, and and they were surprising to me uh, growing up in, in, in the church that she grew up in and the experiences that she had. And, but I think your story is very powerful. And I think your story is the way to really help men understand what's going on. This is an important issue to me. I'm the, the son of a great woman. I'm the brother of a great woman. I'm now married to a great woman. I'm hopefully raising a great woman. And so this is important to me. And so whenever I first started on the idea of having a zero tolerance policy in the NFL on domestic abuse, people mm-hmm. thought I was crazy. And look at where we are just a few years later on that. the Me Too movement. You know, people are so quick to say, yeah, but what happens if false accusations are made and all those things? I understand that's a, that's a danger. But what happens if we stay silent on this issue? And so I think for a woman to begin to share her experiences with her husband helps us to understand. But here's what I also comprehend, that sometimes you, you don't feel safe in doing that. And, and this is just my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm not a counselor. But if you don't feel safe sharing your experience with your husband about some past abuse or hurts or things that have happened to you, that to me says that there might be some struggle within the relationship itself, that maybe the marriage is not as safe as we want it to be. I'm not saying it's bad, but maybe it's not as strong as we want it to be. So maybe that's a sign that we can strengthen the marriage to then help us create a climate in which things like that can be shared. I hope, I hope that generally speaking, Jenny can share everything with me and she knows that I'm there on her side. I love her. I want to protect her. I want to help her. And when she, whenever she shares her experience with me, it gives me a better understanding of what my church members are going through, what my coworkers might be going through and, and all the people around me. So I think, I think your story to your 
husband is a very valuable piece if it can possibly be shared. And I wanted to thank you in particular for your post, What a Drunk Girl Deserves. I loved that. And I made my sons read it. (laughs) Thank you. It is is one of my favorite posts ever, to be honest with you. And and sometimes I'll go around and speak to football teams. I've done the pregame speeches, you know, Louisiana Tech University and some high schools around here. And and that really is a talk that I want to give to every football team, to every high schooler, just to remind them of what our call as men is. And it is a call to love and to protect and to use our strength to the benefit of women and children and not to their detriment in any way. And I think that post, for me, really communicated where my heart is on that issue. Yeah, I've always felt like the piece of of good men protecting others is just the most beautiful thing about masculinity. Men tend to be physically stronger. Y'all are built in a way to play a protective role. I know there's been the thing that that somebody said they would ask audiences, guys, what do you do when you're walking home at night? And men don't understand the question. It's like we walk home. And if you ask the same question to women, we have all kinds of precautions that we take just to walk around at night because we're physically tend to be less capable capable of fighting off an issue. So when men, when good men step up and do protection, it's just a very um, appealing thing. Because I think women do that naturally no matter what. Women protect their children no matter what. They protect oh, their husband's reputation. <laughs> Absolutely. They protect their husbands no matter what. The relationship's good, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think to me, it's not necessarily, I want to always be careful in that because I never want to come across as, oh, poor, weak women. They need men to help them and protect them. I'm not trying to say that at all. But what I am trying to say is God has given us strengths and abilities, and we need to use them in a way that honors and values the family, honors and values all women, all children. And, and that's a tremendous gift that we have. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I said that very poorly, but I definitely a believer in women standing up for themselves and taking care of themselves. I just really love the complementary role that men can play given their unique strengths. Yeah, and so absolutely. I feel like when we're both working toward that, so instead of this being seen as, again, it's a little bit like the whose issue is this? It's not an issue of women against men or men against women. This is good men and women fighting against people who harass and abuse. Yes, absolutely. So you're a pastor, and while we you can't speak for all the other pastors, we get this question sometimes and wondered how you'd answer. Why don't pastors reach and teach more about sex? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think I think there's a fair criticism there. I think sometimes there's an unfair criticism. I think in part the Bible just isn't as explicit as I, I'm far more explicit in friends, partners, and lovers than the Bible is generally speaking. Even the Song of Solomon, which I think has an undertone of sexuality, obviously in it. That's not the main point by any means. I think it's the main point is this picture of God and who he is. And so I think from a pastoral standpoint, I have a role uh, in part to preach the Bible. And the Bible just doesn't say nearly as much about it as I wish it did sometimes. But it does talk about it. And and so pastors do have a responsibility to speak about it more than many do. But then we have this tradition in which it's not spoken about. And, you know, we have different generations that have become more or less comfortable with it. I know my grandparents, the, the idea, some of the things that I say from the pulpit, if my grandparents were still alive, they would not be alive anymore uh, because of, of what's going on. I'll, I'll never forget when my kids were real little, we used the, the real terms, the no slang terms of all the body parts, right? My grandmother and grandfather live next door. My 89-year-old grandmother walks over and my two-year-old son trying to figure out life says, daddy, does mammal have a penis? And, uh, you know, we always try to tell the truth. And I said, well, not as far as I know. And so, uh, 
And literally, like she, I mean, how do you respond to that when you come from that generation? And so pastors walk a very fine line with that. I, I, it's easy for me. I'm in a church that's 20 years old. We don't have all those built-in traditions. I've been there from the get-go. I'll be there probably at the end. And uh, so I have more freedom than somebody walking into a church that's 100 years old with all the different generations. And, and I think I think sex is an important topic on Sunday morning, but I think some pastors now are going too far into making it almost like a publicity stunt uh, in order to, to get people in the door. And so I think sex has a has a place, has a purpose, probably more than anything church-wise, where, where sex is, is meant to be te- taught the most is older women mentor the younger women, older men mentor the younger men. And so within these relationships, it's being the topic's being broached on a Sunday morning, but then the details of what y'all talk about on a regular basis, those details are much better presented, I think, in, in same gender, one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three kind of relationships than maybe what I say uh, on a Sunday morning where I have children in the crowd and, and grandmas in the crowd and everybody in between. Well, I would like to say that according to my email inbox, a lot of pastors are in a difficult sexual situation in their own marriages too. And the reality is, I would imagine that as much as you want to be spirit-minded, there's also a part of a pastor preaching that is thinking about what am I going to be living with during the next week at home. And sadly, some of the most difficult situations I've seen are in, in marriages that there's a pastor and sex is not good. And what is that person supposed to do from the pulpit without risking their own marriage bed? That's a, a great point. And, and and I mean, maybe y'all should have Jenny on this to, to get her side of everything because <laughs> oh, that's she, I mean, she <laughs> joked with me one time. She said, I never knew I was going to marry the Dr. Ruth of Arkansas. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, everything I say, every sermon I, I write on this topic, every article I've written, every aspect of the book, she has to give her approval about. There, there are a couple blog posts that I think are hilarious that will probably never see the light of day because she has vetoed them. She has said, no, we, we can't do this. And, and I've said, okay, I trust her on that. And so I think that's a great point. Why don't pastors talk about this? In part, it's because of pastors' wives. And do you really want this aspect of your relationship in, in a culture of many churches where you're already under the microscope? Do you want to take this one area where maybe you're not and include that into the spotlight? I think many women rightly say no. Uh, and then it becomes a balance for their husbands to, to try to figure out how, how are we going to do this biblically and rightly with the needs of people while at the same time valuing uh, our spouse in the midst of it all. Yeah, I kind of feel like one of the best roles a pastor can play is really encouraging people toward these ministries, like encouraging a, a women's class on this or a men's class on this or, you know, kind of helping those things come through or maybe an event that covers this so that it doesn't fall on them specifically, but they're supporting that as a ministry generally. That's a great point. I, it came up in my time hop today that as we record this, that two uh, two years ago tonight, I was over in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and for three hours, we talked about nothing but sex. Well, that's a great venue to do that because it's announced. It was a Friday night, I believe, and everybody knew walking in what they were going to get. There were no kids in the room. It, it was a much safer space in, in order to talk about that than, than just a random Sunday morning. However, sex is such an issue in our culture, and it is discussed in the Bible and the gospel influences 
Pastors cannot avoid it. It has to be discussed. And I think what we can do is we can broach the topic and, and then point people in the right direction of where to get help and more information. Mm-hmm. As part of that, what if a wife is experiencing sexual issues in her marriage? How should she approach, if she has a male pastor, how does she approach that person and, and what safeguards should be in place? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm, I don't know. I'm not greatly convinced that she should in part. Uh, I, th- I think carefully would probably be the, uh, the, the overall answer that I would give. And, and so I would hope that our church members with me would feel a comfort level if they didn't know where to turn, that they could begin to turn there. I have a lot of safeguards in my own life with, you know, windows in my office, with not meeting with, with, with women by myself, with only going so far in what I will discuss and then quickly referring to professional counseling. And so I can talk a little bit about about this with women, but I think generally speaking, this is where a professional counselor needs to needs to come into the picture. Uh, hopefully a Christian counselor doesn't have to be, but I think it, it oftentimes is better pursued in that way because the relationship is can be so difficult. And unless you have a deep trust of your pastor, there's a long-term relationship and you you have an understanding as best you can about where they are, this can, this can really kind of get us all in trouble in the idea of if a woman approaches in vulnerability on this topic, and, and then we don't necessarily know where the heart of that pastor is, what he's going through in his own life, what his temptations are, what his safeguards and boundaries actually are. I, I hate to give this answer. It's, it sounds wrong giving it, but I almost don't think that this is a place you necessarily go with your pastor uh, unless uh, hopefully there is some other outlets for that to be done. We have counselors on staff at our church. We have women staff members. I mean, all those things were there there's an opportunity there. I've had some of these conversations with women, no doubt, and have quickly referred them uh, so that we didn't get too much into the details because I, did, I didn't want to give them the wrong impression. I don't want them getting the wrong impression with me. I don't want Jenny uncomfortable in conversations that have been had. I want to honor all of that. And, and I know I, I've gotten in some trouble about that because people feel like I'm being unfair toward women and maybe cheating them from a pastoral role within their own lives. And I never want to do that. Uh, at the same time, there's there's a high bar here and a high standard. And I don't want to mess around in any way to mess that up. And so I'm, I'm very quick to refer. So I wonder what your thoughts would be for our listeners who are not in a church like yours that has some professional staff, a pastor who talks about this. You know, I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm very hesitant to say to women, go to your church about this marriage problem or this sex problem, because I see, I read and I see how churches have responded to Me Too. I see how they've covered up child sexual abuse. I see how they They've, in some cases, you know, put all the blame on women. And I, I just don't feel really confident saying, hey, you really ought to go talk to your pastor. So if a woman is not in a church where she knows that good resources are in place, what would you suggest to her? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to find a professional counselor, and, and that's one thing they can do. They can call their pastor and say, hey, I'm, I'm dealing, with, dealing with some issues. I, I, I would like to receive counseling. And any pastor worth their salt is going to have a list of counselors that he refers to. If he at that point says, well, no, why don't you come in and see me? Or you don't really need counseling. You need to change churches because he has no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) And and so I'm sorry. I kind of soft peddled that. I need to be bolder. (laughs) Uh, But it's true. And and, and I think a lot of times we expect pastors to do things that we're really not trained to do. I am not a counselor. I say this over and over again. I give spiritual guidance, no doubt. I pretend to be a counselor on the internet. Sometimes people think that I am one, but I'm, I'm not one. That's not what I do. I can talk in generalities. I can't get down into specifics of what people are going through. So I would start with a counselor. And, and to your listeners, I would reach out to, to one of you four and, and say, do you know somebody in this area? Or can you research it for me? I do this all the time on my website, Kevin A. 
gmail.com. I'll get in. Somebody will send me a question. Do you know a counselor in this area? No, I don't. But you know what? I know a pastor. Let me email him. Who, who do you refer to? And then I give them the list of counselors. Or I can get on the website and say, you know what? And looking, I think this person would be pretty good. Try them and see how that goes. I think you're right. I, I think we've got to be careful in the church world. A church is not equipped to handle every single thing in life. And this might be one issue where it's better to seek a professional counselor rather than your pastor. Yeah. And you know, there are there are parts of the evangelical church that do not believe in counseling, or they have a type of counseling where they've trained people in the church just to use the Bible to counsel. And, you know, I would encourage women to be aware of that because I think that's unsafe. That's a great point. And, and, and God love them and we'll see them in heaven, but I'm not going <laughs> to talk to them about this issue. I, don't, I, I get it. I get what they're, where they're coming from. I just, that's just, in my opinion, theologically inaccurate from, from my standpoint. And I don't even do premarital anymore. I outsource all of that to professional counselors. I, I got in great trouble for writing a blog post, never go to your pastor for premarital counseling. And all these guys were hammering me for it. And I said, guys, you're not counselors. I mean, that's just not what you do. You don't have time for this. You don't have the expertise for this. Help them with the wedding. Give them some spiritual guidance on marriage, but let somebody else talk about the details that that, that exist when it comes to marriage. I mean, buy my book, but don't see me for counseling. <laughs> yeah. I, this is one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people who say that they received premarital counseling and they covered the sex part with their pastor. And I've heard all kinds of stories of what their pastor told them. And we could probably compile a book of like all the bad advice that would received be a good in premarital counseling about sex. You know, even the ones who just said, who just were uncomfortable and said, oh, you'll figure that out after you get married. <laughs> like, that's it. We were our pastor's first wedding. And I said, oh, you're ours too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did, we did not get good counseling. The, the sex was just, we were in a de- denomination where there are women pastors and we were married by a woman at, because that's who was at this church. And she was so embarrassed about it that she asked a question. We answered it. And then she said, okay, well, let's go on to the next topic. Oh my God. Yeah. That well, was our my, my father was the pastor who married us. So we did not discuss that part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, we had one of our counselors on staff. She's, she's no, uh, no longer on staff with us. She's retired. But at the time she was in her early eighties and I was young. I was maybe 24, 25, first on staff. And one day she caught me out in the hallway and she said, Hey, Kevin, whenever a couple comes to you and they have this issue and she's talking about sex, what is it that you say to them? And I began to kind of backpedal in some ways. And she looked at me and she put, put her finger up and she began to walk toward me. And I'm, I'm a personal space kind of guy. So I began to back up and she got, she backed me into the corner of, of the, of the wall in the hallway. And she was saying all these terms that I was always taught never to say, to use slang for in some way. <laughs> and, and she ended and she said, until your face doesn't turn red for hearing those words, you shouldn't talk to any couple. And she turned around and walked away. And so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I thought it was a, really it was a great, it was a great yeah, lesson. It was a yeah. great lesson for me. Uh, these are real yeah. life issues. You better get used to them. You better get comfortable with them. And then you better need to know where your boundaries are so that you are quick to refer when you need to refer. Mm-hmm. Do y'all get those emails sometimes from somebody who says, oh, I'm really embarrassed to talk about this. And they, they apologize first. And then they tell me something that's going on. And I will write back and usually GMI. say, oh, that comes yeah. nowhere close to the worst thing that someone has written to me. <laughs> it's the ones who are not embarrassed at all that all should be. 
Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Our email okay. inboxes are interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. I can I can imagine. <laughs> we so appreciate you being with us here today. I'm glad I'm not a pastor. I'm doing what I'm doing. Thrilled you're doing what you're doing. And we just want to thank you for being here. Well, it's been are such an here? honor. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. It's been a fun conversation. And uh, keep on doing your good work because you are making a difference in, in many lives and you're assisting me in the work that you're doing. So I appreciate it. Thanks for being yeah. with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And listeners, Kevin A. Thompson's book is Happily Eight Commitments of Couples Who Laugh, Love, and Last. And check out his previous marriage book, Friends, Partners, and Lovers, as well as his blog. That's kevinathompson.com, right? Correct. Okay. And we will have links in our show notes. All right. Thank you all. Thanks so much for joining us today on Sex Chat for Christian Wives. We encourage you to check out our website at sexchatforchristianwives.com, where you can find show notes and links to resources. That's sexchat for F-O-R, christianwives.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please take just a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes so that others can find the show and tell a friend about us. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to reach out to new listeners. We appreciate you being with us today, and we pray that God blesses you this week as you pursue healthy and holy sexual intimacy in your marriage.